We are, as I'm sure you remember, in the middle of the halachas. Well, I wouldn't, shouldn't say the middle, because we're not quite yet at the middle, but beginning to discuss the halachas of muksa. We've dis- discussed briefly the different types of muksa, which we will, as Hashem, hopefully this week begin to elaborate on. But first, to finish off, let's recap the introduction, the introductory halachas which we discussed last, last year, and to just finish off some more brief introductory halachas and then we'll move on to the actual cases, the different descriptions of muksa. and we'll go through each one with all the different examples and I think by the end of Shia today you'll get an idea of the breadth of muksa and the different examples, different uh, types of articles which go under different banners of muksa. so we're going to try and broaden it today we're going to discuss at length muksa machmas chisor and kis which is a muksa of something which is literally valuable, but as we've learned briefly, it doesn't really mean valuable, and you will see there's an amazing amount of things which are lying around our house. Some of the stuff which you anyway don't touch at all, you just, just wouldn't look at it on Shabbos anyway, but without even realizing why, uh, some things which you, you might accidentally or inadvertently touch, not realizing that it does go under the band of Muxamachas, sorry, case, and we'll go through a whole list and explain each one, but before we do that, let's recap again the previous year, and just uh, a couple more introductory halachas to the concept of muksa, and then we can move on to the actual practicalities of muksa. We began in the previous year to discuss different types of movement, different types of tiltle, how one can move an article, how one may not move an article, and we defined as three basic types of, mu- of movement, there's a mu- or I should say three basic purposes of, of moving an article. There's what's known as l'tzorich gufoi, there's l'tzorich mekaymoi, and there's what Chazal called michama l'tzel. Moving an article for the sake of the article, meaning that you need to use the article. I'm moving it, let's say, I have a hammer, a hammer is muksa. We'll discuss the, the category of muksa of hammer in, uh, at, at uh, another Shebez Hashem. A hammer is muksa. I pick up the hammer because I want to crack a nut. That's called lifting up the hammer, let's say, I'm being moving it, let's say, for the sake of the use of the, of the article. That's one type of use, one type of movement. There's another type of movement called the Sarah where I don't actually want the hammer. I just want the hammer sitting on, is lying on my armchair. I want to sit on the armchair. It's in the way. I remove the hammer from the armchair because I want the space, the place where the Muksa article is lying. That's called the Sarah Or if the hammer is worth money, costs money hammers, and it's lying around the house, I don't want it damaged, so I want to pick it up in order to protect it, move it back to its toolbox. So that it should be protected, that's what's called mechama letzel. I'm moving away from the sun to the shade. I'm not moving it for the sake because I want to use the article. I'm not moving it because I need a space on the article. I'm moving it because I want to protect the actual muksa article. There are three different reasons why I will move. And you will find some muksas, I can't move them at all. Not letzel kufay, not letzel mechamay, and not mechama letzel. And sometimes we are allowed to move muksa letzel kufay or letzel mechamay, and not mechama letzel. Each category of muksa, we will tell you the practical halacha when we get there. Then there's different types of movement. Not reasons for moving, but different types of movement in the way one can move an article. We described, again, three. There's tilkul begufoi, where you can move an article in with your body. You're not moving it with your hand, carrying it in a normal fashion, but you're moving it with your body, your arm, your leg, etc. There's tilkul kilachayad. That's where you're moving it in an unusual manner. We discussed uh, in the previous year moving it through blowing, that's called tilkul kalachiyad, you're moving it, you are actually moving it, you're causing this article to move by blowing, but you're not moving it with your body itself. And then we have tilkul min hatsab, uh, moving an article via an intermediary of an of a article which is permitted. So you'd have an, a muksa article on top of a 
non-muksa article in a situation where there's no problem of bosses, which we will discuss at length, Metz Hashem, the, the, the principle behind, behind bosses and how and when an article will become bosses and won't become bosses and how to get around the problem of bosses. That's a, a, a shear, at least one shear unto itself. That's not for today. But in a situation where there's no problem of bosses, you have an, a muksa article, and there's many situations where you can have a muksa article on top of a non-muksa article and it's not a, a bosses, and you then want to move the muksa article by moving the non-muksa article, that's called tiltul minatsad. And we explained that tiltul begufa is permitted even for the sake of the dava also. That means I can move it because I want to protect the muksa article. Mechamal I have a muksa article which is lying around my floor. It's precious to me. I don't want it damaged. The gufay, I can take my leg, I can kick it, gently of course, into a corner, move it into somewhere safe. Tiltul begufay is mutter, not only the serif gufay, not only the serif mukhaymay, but even mechamal atzeil, even for the sake of the non-muksa article. We did say, however, that it's a machlekas, and there are some paskim who are a little bit more machmit, so we should only try and use that method of moving if one has to. If you have a really precious article and it's bothering you, etc., Le'es Hatsayach, when there's a, 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 a time which is necessary for you to use this kula, it's a kula which is Mishnah Brewer's Merkel, so therefore we can use it, but only when, when, the, 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 uh, when the case actually in, in necessitates it. Tiltul Kilachiyad has the same halachas as Tiltul Begufay, meaning that if you have an article which you need to move, you can move it Kilachiyad. If you move it Kilachiyad, you can move it for the sake of the actual article itself. Even if you want to protect the article, Mecham Latzeil, you can move an article Kilachiyad. So if you have a five pound note which is lying on your table and you don't want it to get lost, you can blow it into a safe, into a safe, into a corner, into a cupboard, into a drawer. That's no problem at all. Tiltul Kilachiyad is permitted even for the protection, even for the sake of the, of the Muksa article. Tiltul Minatsad, however, drops a, 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 a level. Tiltul Minatsad, moving an article via the intermediary of a permitted keli, can only be used, can only be moved for the sake of a dovamuta. So, we gave the example if you have a barrel in the storehouse, and we're going to talk historically, we'll come back to practical cases as we move on through the, the uh, different practical examples of muksa. If you, we spoke about the case of the barrel, which had the stone on it, the stone is muksa, as we'll explain, muksa machmas kufay, and you've got this barrel with the stone on, and there's no way you can actually lift the lid of the barrel and get into the, whatever is inside the barrel, the wine, the dates, whatever it may be, because you've got this muksa on, what do I do? Tiltul minatsad is permitted if I want to, if the purpose of me moving the muksa is for the sake of a dovah I need to get into the barrel, that's muta. I need to move the stone, so I can move the stone for the sake of the dovah And here we said there's, there's a process of how one has to move, remove this stone. The first and ideal way of removing that stone is called neo, is to tip it off. You have a barrel, you tip the barrel, stone falls, you then have a free barrel, you can lift the lid up and access the food that's inside. That's the ideal. If you can't tilt the barrel and move, remove the stone that way because you have other articles around it, i.e. you have other barrels or whatever other articles around which you don't want to damage by tipping the stone off the barrel, so then you can lift the barrel up with the stone. You're now doing tiltul minatsad. You're carrying the barrel. But at the same time as carrying the barrel, you are also carrying the muksa article. That's called tiltul minatsad. That's permitted. You take it to a safe area. You tip, tip, off, tip off the... Uh, tilt the barrel so the stone should fall off. And you now have a free barrel which can, you can access and you can arrive at the food that you're trying to get to inside the barrel. Tiltul minatsad is permitted. Let's say where I want the mutter article. If I would want the stone in another place, I wouldn't be allowed to use Tiltul Minatsad. Tiltul Minatsad is only permitted for the sake of the permitted article, not for the sake of the, the muksa article. Or, you can do Tiltul Minatsad for the sake of the space 
of the article. And we gave the example, if you have a muksa article on your cushion, you come, to, you come to bed and you realize that you've left your handbag on your cushion, by mistake, it's not the bosses, you've left your handbag there, what do I do? How do I get to sleep? I can't sleep on my handbag, it'll be terrible, it'll give me nightmares, what do I do? Pick up the cushion, tilt it onto the floor. If you're worried that, because your handbag is probably stuffed with loads of receipts and coins and everything, and by tilting on the floor it's going to fall all over the place, so you pick up the cushion, you then take it to your, to your sideboard or to a cupboard, and you tilt, slide it off into the cupboard, put your cushion back, and then you can go to sleep. Because you want the area under where the muksa is lying, is permitted. But, if you wanted to protect your handbag, you found your handbag lying on the front room chair, you don't need a front room chair, but it's just bothering you, they say, you want to put it in the cupboard safe, to move the handbag, that means to move the chair with the handbag on, to be able to put it into a cupboard, is not permitted, because you're only moving there for the sake of the Dovah Muksa. That's completely awesome. So, there's two stages. First, you have to try and be Minaya, tilt the article away onto the floor immediately. If you can't do that, you can then lift it up via the permitted article, and place the muksa article into wherever you'd like to place it, but only for the sake of the space where the, article, the muksa article is, is on, or for the actual permitted article which is underneath the, which is underneath the muksa article. And the example we gave at the end of year would be, if you had, this, art, this would cover both parts of, of the halachas of tilted that we've just explained. If you have coins on the floor, and you want to move them, you want to move them because you've counted them. There's about 20 pounds worth of one pound coins, right? You made a collection, I don't know, for the, the Ladies Guild, uh, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, bizarre, right? For the Ladies Guild Bazaar, right? You've got now uh, uh, 20 pounds worth of coins, and, you know, Friday, Friday afternoon in, in one's home isn't the most uh, calm of places, and you found Friday night, you just bench lift, and you sit down on the armchair, and you suddenly notice a 20 pound worth of coins lying on the floor. Now, can you imagine you're going to come to your Ladies Guild uh, evening with your raffle booklet and you're going to say to Mrs. Graydon, Mrs. Graydon, I'm very sorry but I've lost 20 pounds. If you value your life, you're not going to do that. So you're very worried. So you take a broom and you start sweeping those, 20, those coins into a corner. Can I do that? Can I sweep those coins? Now I'm moving these coins for the sake of the coins. I'm not moving them for, my, for, for the space. I don't need the space. My, my armchair is perfectly vacant. I can sit on my armchair. I'm very comfortable. The coins are over there. They don't bother me. But I'm scared that I might lose them. So I want to take a broom. Fantastic idea. Take a broom sweep the coins into the corner, and I know they'll be safe, they're all there now, piled in the corner, and I'll have a bit more of a, a comfortable Shabbos, I won't worry about these coins. Here I'm now moving a muksa article via a permitted article, a broom, that's Tiltul Minasad. That would not be permitted, because Tiltul Minasad is only permitted if I want the space, or I need the Dover Mutter, which the muksa article is not, giving me, is not allowing me access to. To actually protect the muksa article, I can't do that. So to take a broom and sweep it, oh, that wouldn't be able to do. If, however, you really are worried about the ladies' guild opinion of you, then you can move it with your foot. Because tiltul begufoy is permitted for the sake of the muksa article as well. So though you're doing exactly the same thing, I'm taking the coins and I'm moving them into the corner, but one I'm doing it in, the, in a, a manner which is not permitted, and one I'm doing it in a manner which is totally permitted. So to move it with a broom would not be permitted. <laughs> that's, that's not called uh, the circle from coming now, I'm sorry, no. <laughs> no. So you, you have to kick it. No, kick it, kick, kick you can, kick you would. That would be cool. so, no, so if the, if the mess bothers you, then that's called for the space. That's different. But I'm talking about the mess doesn't bother you, 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 you it's, it's away, it's out of sight, you're just, you're just nervous about the money. You're just nervous about the money. If you're just nervous about the money, then don't sweep it, kick it.
Could you cover the money? With you could cover the money with something as well, yeah. No problem. You can, yeah, you can cover the money with something. There we are. You, you'll come to the ladies' guild. You say you cover the, mo- the money with a, with a cloth. You'll be fine. Okay. Now we're going to move on to two new, two new introductory halachas. Nothing to do with ladies' guild. And then we'll move on to muksa machmas chesorinkis. The next halacha which we need to really get clear on is what's known as migudis kasoyle be nashmoshes it's kasoyle kuleyema, which means something which is muksa on be nashmoshes as Shabbos comes in. Migu, since it's katsoy, it becomes muksa le for the Bein Hashmoshes as Shabbos is arriving, it remains muksa for the Holy Shabbos. So if I have an article which is muksa as Shabbos comes in, and comes the middle of Shabbos, it loses its muksa, and I'll give you a couple of examples, it loses its muksa, despite the fact that it loses, it's lost its reason to be muksa, it remains muksa for the whole Shabbos. It remains muksa for the whole Shabbos. Bein Hashmoshes, the, the, the time period between sunset and nacht, from when you are madlik the nearest Friday night, till nacht is the key to whether the status of this article will remain muksa for the whole Shabbos, will not remain muksa for the whole Shabbos. If something is muksa bein Hashmoshes, in that time period, if something is muksa, it will remain muksa for the whole Shabbos. And the logic behind that is very simple, because we've explained that the, the background to muksa is that it's called unprepared. If it's unprepared, it remains unprepared. Something which has been pre- not been prepared for Shabbos before Shabbos cannot be prepared on Shabbos. So an unprepared article, something which is muksa, remains muksa for the time frame of Shabbos. After Shabbos, you can prepare it again and bring it back into normal service. But if it's unprepared for the Bein Hashmoshes, it remains muksa throughout Shabbos. So let's give you an example that Chazal talk about. Chazal talk about, if you imagine, go back in history, I always like talking about history because it gives us a little bit of feeling of, of, of what went on in, in, in the olden days. In the olden days, they used to dry, um, make their own raisins. How did you make your own raisins? You took your grapes, you put them up on your roof, the roof was flat, it was a flat roof, and there to soil, it was hot, and bubble, it was hot, you used to play, put the grapes on the roof, and they would then begin to dry up, but they wouldn't just dry up, grapes don't just dry up, they actually become inedible. They become inedible for a period of time, and then they dry up and become edible. Now, when you put them on that roof, very shortly after that, they're going to not be edible anymore. So let's talk about a simple case. You put them on there on Thursday, by Friday afternoon, they're not edible anymore. They're not edible. Comes Friday night, they are considered muksa. And we'll discuss why they're considered muksa a bit later on, Mezra Shem. It's not edible. It has no purpose to it, these, these grapes. You can't eat them as Shabbos. You can't use them. They are now muksa. They're muksa. When they turn into raisins, they're fine. They're now edible. They are now not muksa anymore. So what would happen if you had these dr- grapes which you put on the roof to dry and Friday afternoon they were in the inedible state? Shabbos afternoon you happen to be going up to your roof for some reason and you notice that they've turned into raisins. They're really perfect, just perfect to be eaten. Can I eat them now on Shabbos? Can I not? And the answer is no. Why not? Because since when Shabbos came in this article, this fruit, this grape, this raisin was not edible so as Shabbos came in, it was not prepared. It's called an unprepared item. That remains muksa for the whole Shabbos. That remains muksa for the whole Shabbos. Another simple case, more practical. We, we know that we've learned there's, there's a, a halacha of Again, we will discuss it at length, Be'ez Hashem. Your candlesticks on your candlestick tray. Your candlesticks on your candlestick tray. You place them on there before Shabbos, of course. You, you light your candles before Shabbos. Your candlesticks are muksa. So the tray now becomes muksa, right? Shabbos a few hours into Shabbos, your candles extinguished, they're out, they're finished, they're burnt right the way down. So you have no more muksa there. Can I move my candlesticks on my tray? Why not? They're not muksa anymore. 
The reason why there were muksas only because I had the candle on there. The candle's burnt out. There's nothing left. Why can't I move my candlesticks? Why can't I move my tray? Why can't I move my table, etc.? We'll discuss again how lockers of bosses bears Hashem in the, in the coming shurim. The, the answer to that is since Ben Hashmoshes, the candle is burning, so the candlesticks were muksa, the tray is muksa, that remains muksa for the whole Shabbos. And that is the halacha of Migu de Iskatsoi Ben Hashmoshes. Since it became muksa for Ben Hashmoshes, Iskatsoi Kuleyeme, it remains muksa for the whole Shabbos. Remains muksa for the whole Shabbos. That's one halacha. Now we will come back to this halacha. These, all these introductory halachas will come up time and time and time again as we discuss practical examples of halacha, of, of muksa. A continuation of this, which is a second halacha, but a continuation. What would happen if you had an article which was perfectly not muksa before Shabbos? Perfectly useful, absolutely fine. And Shabbos came in, and halfway through Shabbos it became muksa. And then, two hours later, it became non-muksa. And I'll give you a very simple, simple example. You had, we'll carry on talking about our candlestick tray, well, just slightly different. You had a tray lying on your table. And then along came one of the a little child, was running around the house, picked up your purse and placed it on the tray. The purse is muksa. If the purse is muksa, the tray becomes muksa. It's bosses. The tray becomes a bosses. What do I do? You can't now. What would happen if that little boy would come along and take the purse off? Can I move the tray or can't I move the tray? And the answer is you can move the tray because since the purse was not there, Benash Moshes, Ben Hashmoshes, the tray wasn't muksa. It only became muksa on Shabbos because somebody had placed the muksa article on, on the permitted article. The minute that muksa article has been removed, the, the tray is perfectly permitted. It's permitted. You only say something becomes muksa and remains muksa for the whole Shabbos if it was muksa in the Ben Hashmoshes period. If it wasn't muksa in the Ben Hashmoshes period, it only became muksa on Shabbos, fine. As soon as that muksa is gone, it's not muksa anymore. Not muksa, and this doesn't have to be in the case of bosses. It can be in the case of food as well. What would happen if you had food which was perfectly edible on, 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 as Shabbos came in, and Shabbos after Shabbos evening, for some reason it became inedible, and then it became back edible again? Because I'll talk about a case of, for example, if you put these these uh, dates, these, these dried grapes on the roof, and they become non-edible, and then just before Shabbos it rains, and they expand, and they're now edible again. And then Shabbos comes in, the sun dries them. The wrong way around. The other way around. They, as Shabbos came in, they were edible. And then they became inedible Shabbos afternoon. And then it rained and expanded, and they're now edible again. Can I eat them or can't I eat them? These are practical cases where it wasn't muksa when Shabbos came in. It became muksa on Shabbos, and then lost its muksa state on Shabbos. It doesn't stay muksa. Well, I gave the example of a tray. If the, the purse was taken off the tray by mistake on Shabbos, it lost its muksa state. The tray is not muksa anymore. The ta- this tray is now perfectly permitted. As long as Ben Hashmoshes, it wasn't muksa, then it doesn't become muksa for the whole Shabbos. It might become muksa for part of Shabbos if there's a muksa placed on it or if something else goes wrong, but it doesn't get the din, doesn't get the state of muksa for the whole Shabbos. Something which is muksa Ben Hashmoshes, it remains muksa for the whole Shabbos. Let's go on. You put the grapes to dry. Yes, because it has to go through a state where they become inedible. So then when you put them there, you know that you're putting them aside because they're going to be inedible. You know you're putting them aside and until they become edible again, they are muksa. Why is? Why is trollant? Because it's edible. Because it's edible. It doesn't matter. It's still edible. It's still edible. Food. We'll discuss food later. Food. 
is uh, raw food is muksa. Raw food is muksa. We will discuss that, Hashem. It's also edible. It's all edible. It might not be gishmak. It might not be the right thing to do if you, you value your stomach. But it's it's edible. It's edible. Okay. Now that, that brings us really to the end of the halachas, which are a more or less an introduction to muksa. That means these are halachas that one needs to know at every stage of muksa. When we're defining or describing an article and trying to place it in its category, which category of muksa is it? Which category of muksa is it not? Then the practical Halachas will be, what can, when may I move it, when may I not move it? Can I move it, let's say, may I move it, may I move it, let's say, that will come up every single time. And then, is there a problem of will it remain muksa for the whole Shabbos, will it not remain muksa for the whole Shabbos, will depend on the article and the case at hand. So, as we go through the cases, most of the cases we're going to talk about this week are going to be standard cases, simple cases, which are muksa for the whole Shabbos, because they are muksa as Shabbos comes in. So, most of the cases we're going to discuss are such. There are one or two which you could develop into a question, which I'm not going to go down that route, not to complicate matters. I want to keep this shish simple and just really talk about the practical cases of, of muksa machmas chesorinkis. Muksa machmas chesorinkis is the first muksa that we mentioned at the beginning of Hilchus Muksa. Something which is muksa because you set it aside because it's valuable. Valuable means it doesn't have to be worth money. You set it aside because for some reason you give it a specific place and you don't want it to be moved. Simplest explanation of that is something which is valuable something which is very valuable you will put it aside you won't use it you don't want to use it you don't want it to, you don't want it to become damaged so you place it in a specific designated area that's where this lies and therefore since you've placed it to in a specific area you don't want to use it you've moved it away from being prepared for use for Shabbos therefore it now gets a state of muksa. Muksa machmas chasar and kiss is muksa for the whole Shabbos let's go through some, some very uh, basic examples but before the halachas of something which goes under the category of it's a very strict muksa and therefore can't be, can't be moved at all not for the sake of its own use not for the sake of its place and not to protect it of course can't be moved at all is one of the high categories of muksa can't be touched, can't be moved has to be left exactly where it is for the whole Shabbos of course, if there's a great need then tilkul begufay or tilkul minatsab etc., those halachas of tilkul will apply, because they apply to all muksas. But moving muksma machmas kis in a normal fashion, in a normal manner, for the sake of the muksa itself, because you want to use it, or because you need the place where the muksa is lying, or because you want to protect the muksa, is completely awesome. There is no permitted normal tilkul when it comes to muksma machmas kis. Tilkul minatsab, tilkul begufoy, kalachiyat, they are heterim, they are types of movements which are mutter in any tilkul in the in the cases where they, where they are necessary. But Muksamachis as a normal movement, it's completely asa, whether you're doing it for the sake of the article, for the sake of the place, or to protect the article, it's completely asa. Let's begin to go through some examples of Muksamachis. Now the, the simple and the first place to start is of course your display case at home. You have a display case, we're inside your display case you have your valuable items. Now some people have display cases where they have non valuable items there as well. We're not talking about those. We're talking about where you have a display case of valuable items which you do not use. So you might have some cobalt china, a, a beautiful china vase, or whatever it may be, and you've got it in your display case. You never take it out. It, it stays there to, as a showpiece. You would never take it out because you're scared to break it. You'll never use it because you're scared to break it. You don't want it touched because it's valuable. That is now designated as to be there and nowhere else, never to be used for any purpose at all. That is completely muxan shabbos. You can't open up a display case 
when your, your friend comes around and he or she admires this beautiful cobalt china vase or plate or whatever it may be and you say oh do you really would you like to see it and you open your display case you take it out and you show it to them you have now moved muksa you have moved something which is muksa machmas kis that is the simplest example of muksa machmas kis it's expensive it's valuable and because of its value you don't want it damaged you don't want to move it you never designate a specific area for it to remain it now therefore gets the status of muksa machmas kis what about? If they're never used, they're kept in a... In a they're they're muksa. Yeah, are they valuable? Sentimental value. It's got sentimental value, so that's value. It doesn't have to be monetary value. It doesn't have to be any value at all. And we'll see in a moment, Mr. But if you have something in a display cabinet like that, that's not muksa. That's what I said. It's not the display cabinet itself that makes it muksa. It's the fact that you've designated a, an area where this is going to stay and remain. So let's even broaden that. If, if you're a bit braver and, and you're not worried about uh, people coming to the house and accidentally damaging an expensive vase, you can even have this expensive vase on your sideboard. You can have a sideboard with a beautiful expensive vase. You never ever put flowers in it because you don't want to ruin it. It's, le- it's there purely, purely as a decoration for your room. It's expensive. You'll never use it. If anybody goes anywhere near it, near, near it, and, near it and starts fiddling with it, you get nervous and you, uh, and you start coughing. <coughs> muksa. That is Muksa Machos Chasankis. It's right in the middle of your front room, in the middle of your dining room. It's there. It's standing there. It's Muksa because you never, ever move it. It's valuable to you. You're worried about it. You don't want to move it. It's Muksa. Muksa Machos Chasankis. If you have rare photographs or rare documents, something which is of value, but something which is of value, and you never move them, you put, you put them in a, a cupboard, you lock them away in a cupboard, uh, uh, perhaps some, some old uh, um, kiss me any, anything valuable, old pictures, valuable pictures, or even something which is sentimental value, and you never ever use them, you keep them locked away, and we all have bits and pieces of that around our house, that is, th- those things are called muksa machmas sankis because you don't use them, you don't take them out, you're careful with them, you're scared they're going to get damaged, you don't want them to catch the light because you don't want to, to, to uh, discolor the, the, the writing, what, whatever it may be, anything like that would be considered muksa machmas sankis. Now I'm giving you slightly extreme examples, we're going to come down to examples which are much more practical as we go through. Pictures which you have up on the wall. Photographs which you put up on the wall. You have photographs of your family, photographs of Gdalim up on the wall. That doesn't necessarily have to be Muxmachas or Sankis. Because you're putting them on the wall not because you particularly want to designate them, a designated area for them. You're not because you don't want people to touch them. You just want to beautify your house. You want to have uh, some decorations in your home. You want to have your walls decorated with pictures. You're not putting them there because they're valuable. You're putting them there purely because you want them to be seen. That therefore doesn't give them a state of the muksamachos or kiss. You might not be able to take them off the wall and shovels because of different problems, because of boina, etc. But in itself, that doesn't give it a, a, a din of muksamachos or kiss. It's got to be something which you've designated a, a space, a place. You don't want it to be used or moved because of its value. Just as an example, uh, 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 we, I have a machutna who lives in Golders Green, a mishpacha who lives in Golders Green, not mishpacha, a brother-in-law's father-in-law lives in Golders Green. I was in their home recently for a simcha, and they have a beautiful, beautiful, you'll like this, Mrs. Graydon, a beautiful silver samovar. A samovar is, a, is a, an old-fashioned teapot, but really an exquisite piece. Beautiful, lying on the sideboard. And when I, when I was preparing these halakas, I thought to myself, that would be something which could be depending on how careful he is about it. It was really exquisite pieces, beautiful. It was, it was really nice. With all the little bits and pieces and then the little pan at the bottom for the fire. It was really beautiful. 
that could be something which is Muksa Machis And I actually, when I went into him, it wasn't a Shabbos, and I actually admired it, and I looked at the, you know, it was very nice, he allowed me to look at it. But it could be, if I would have been in that Shabbos, it would be awesome for me to actually touch it. Because it's valuable, it's pure silver, it's, there's not many of those around, and, and it, it was a, it, it's, a, it's a showpiece. It's not something that you're ever going to use, nobody bothered making tea in a summer nowadays. It's there purely as a showpiece, it's there for its value, to show you that I've got something really valuable, it's really nice, it could be, that would be considered Muksa Machmas so something you bought at Rulgas originally can never be in Muxus. Something which? Something you bought at Rulgas, a new, new treasure, July. No, 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 that's not, not Muxus. No, no, no. But exa- another example would be if somebody had an heirloom, a, ju- a piece of jewellery, which you yashin from your, you inherited from your great, 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 great grandmother, it's come down, you never ever use it because it's a, a piece of inheritance, it's lying in your cupboard, it's a piece of jewellery which you never ever ever use. It's valuable because it's got sentimental value, it's ancient value, it's got a uh, historic value to it, that could be something which is muksa. It's muksa. So you might, anybody in this room or anywhere could have a piece of that somewhere put away safe in the house. They're worried about it, they're careful with it, they never take it out. On a rare occasion, you know, when you get family together, get, get together, you might bring it out just as, and really handle it delicately because you're worried about it. That could be considered muksa. Much more practical. Much more practical. Let's go down to the next stage of Muxa Machus Sankis. This is uh, something which uh, women will find a little bit more, uh, you know, a little bit more practical, and perhaps even every single day. The remark tells us now Muxa Machus doesn't have to be something which you set aside because of a value. If you set aside for any other reason, but you've given it a designated place where you are not, and, and it's an article which you've designated that you're not going to use it, it becomes Muxa. So, an example which the Ramah talks about, if you have a shop in your home, you're selling clothes, you have a clothes shop, or you sell shoes, or you sell cutlery, crockery, it makes no difference. You have a, a room, where you have your clothes in, and you have your kalim in, which are, it's designated to be sold, used only to be sold. You will never ever, if you're short of a plate on your Friday night, in your, for your Friday night meal, go into your, into your shop, take out the plate, and put it on the table, and clean it up, and put it back to sell. You will never do that. What's in that room is set aside for one purpose only and that is to sell selling means you are not going to use it so every single article that's in that room is muksa you cannot walk into your shop and show somebody who comes in says please you know I know you, you sell uh, plates you know beautiful uh, uh, um, Archipel or Corel please just show me just show me a couple of designs I just, I'm not going to buy a Shabbos of course it's totally also but you know, I'd just like to see the design also for you to go into that room pick up those plates or dresses, or you imagine you've got a good friend who's got a new, uh, a new delivery of, of the, the, latest, uh, the latest clothes that have just come in, and you want to have a preview, so you go around to visit, just as, of course, you're going to visit Shabbos afternoon, as a friendly visit, and by the way, do you mind showing me your new, uh, completely awesome, those clothes on Muxa, Machmach, Kisar, Kis. They might not be valuable, they might be worth a few pounds, but you've set them aside to be sold, not to be used completely Muxa. An example which perhaps would appeal to a man more than a woman would be if somebody sells a Sregim. If you sell a Sregim, you don't eat those asragim. You're never going to eat those asragim. You have set those asragim aside. You're going to make a fortune on them. You're going to set them aside to be sold for mitzvahs esrog. Somebody comes in a Shabbos and says, it's not really muksa on Shabbos. It shouldn't really be muksa. If I have an esrog in my own home on Shabbos before Yom Tov, it's not muksa. Comes, if I'm a seller, if I deal in esrogim, then all my esrogim are muksa. I can't come into my room and say, move them around and, you know, and do you want to see a nice esrog? It's just a beautiful one. I just saw it on Friday. Here, have a look. No, you're not coming happy. I'm keeping it for myself. You can't do that. That's all Muxa Machmas Kisankis. Where this becomes more practical, and this is where you, you might be surprised, is what would happen if you went 
to Brent Cross Wednesday, Thursday, you did a, a string of shopping. Now, nowadays, the, the, the way we shop is very strange. We go and buy a load of stuff, and then we decide what we want, and we take it all back again. <laughs> now, you've gone on. Wednesday, Thursday, you come home, your husband's so happy, and, and your family's so happy, you come home with bags of stuff, and we think, Baruch Hashem, no more shopping in the next six months. And Friday afternoon, you've paraded up and down in front of your mirror, and you've realized that you don't want any of this stuff. You don't want it. Surprise, surprise, you can take it all back Sunday morning. Now, this, therefore, is all these clothes that you bought have now been designated not to be used. They are muksa on Shabbos. They are muksa on Shabbos because you do not want to use them. You're going to put them in, a, in the bags, you're going to put them inside, in your cupboard, inside your room, wherever they're going to be. They are designated now with a specific purpose of not to be used. You have a, a place where you put them so that you don't use them. They are now muksa. And if you haven't up your mind. Then that's okay. That's okay. If you're going to have something which you use rarely, you have a, a, a Hafna outfit which you only use at really rare occasions, or a Yom Tov outfit that you use only once a year, that's fine. Because at the end of the day, you're using it, you're using it rarely, but you're using it, that's fine. But here you've got an article which you're not going to use at all. You don't want to use it because you want to take it back. The minute you use it, you can't take it back. Of course, un- unless you're, you're, you're being uh, not morally correct. You, if you don't, you want to take it back, you're not going to use it. If you're not going to use it, it now becomes Muxa Machmas Kusarinkis. It doesn't matter, but you would use it. If you had an opportunity, you would use it. If you had an opportunity to use it, you would. But if you had an opportunity, you would. You're not putting it away because you don't want to use it. You just haven't had an opportunity. Okay, so I don't want to get involved in that. We are going to discuss some cases of muksa that you would think are anyway muksa, but it would go into a different category of muksa. And because in that category, you might be allowed to move it in certain cases. Muksa Machas will move into the category where you can't move it at all. We will discuss a few cases like that in a moment. Where Megadis Katsori, this halakha we discussed, would come into being here, would be, if you are slightly um, uh, undecisive, but really indecisive, and Friday evening you say, Friday afternoon, I'm definitely taking them back. Friday night, you're definitely keeping them. Shabbos morning, you're definitely taking them back, right? Where would, what would the status of, the, of this clothes be Friday night? Can you try them on again? Can't you try them on again? So this is where Migadis Kassoy comes into play. I don't want to go down that route because it's dangerous. So, a bit OCD. I'm sorry, Mr. Lynch, I forgot you were here. <laughs> okay. M- moving on a little bit. There are types of moksha which are not expensive. There are types of moksha which are not um, particularly valuable, no sentimental value, but they're fragile. They're fragile pieces of equipment, uh, and therefore because they're fragile, you're careful with them. You're extremely careful, and you don't use them for anything else besides its designated use. And its designated use is something which is not permitted on Shabbos. So the example which we've spoken about, which the Halacha talks about, the Gemara talks about, and the Shukhanach talks about at length, is a mila knife or a shechita knife. These are two types of knives which have a very specific designated use. You don't want to damage those knives for understandable reasons. A shechita knife, if you damage it, if it has a tiny nick in it, it's going, you're going to spend hours and hours and hours trying to get that nick out so that you can use it for shechita. A knife with a slight pegima in it, with any small little indentation, tiny minutus, which can only be felt with, the, with your fingernail or the tip of your finger, which is extremely sensitive. That type of nick in a knife will render that knife 
totally useless for shechita. Same with mila. If a mila knife is blunt, you, you would never use it. So you'd only use that knife for its designated purpose. You will never use it for anything else. Those knives, though you could theoretically peel an orange with a shechita knife, it would be difficult peeling an orange with a, with a massive shechita knife, but theoretically you could, or a, a, a small shechita knife, you could easily peel an orange with it, but you never would peel an orange with it. So therefore you have now set it aside from any other use besides its designated use, which you won't use on Shabbos, and that article now becomes muksa. That article becomes muksa. The same will apply to if you have any other um, surgical instruments or any other equipment, uh, a, a very fine cutting instrument. So let's give an example of you have a really exquisite diamond studded letter opener. Right? You will never use it for anything else. It lies on your table. You might open a, an envelope with it because that won't damage it and that's what's useful. But you're never going to use it for anything else. You're not, you're not going to use it for a door stopper. You're not going to peel the orange with it. You're not going to cut your, potato, you, uh, cut your apple up with it. Even though it's lying on your desk and you're desperate to have this apple in your middle of work. You're never, it's, it's beautiful. That article becomes muksa. It's muksa not because it's valuable. It's muksa because you've designated it for a specific use which you can't use on Shabbos. And therefore all other uses you've said, I don't want to use, with, I don't want to use this article with it. I don't want to use this article for any other use. becomes muksa. Uh, uh, a camera, an uh, 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 expensive camera, which you are very careful with. Nowadays, again, with modern shopping, you go, you go and buy a camera and you buy an insurance policy so that you, you specifically, especially leave the cameras lying around on the stairs so that it should break so you can take them back and get a new one. I think my kids have had more cameras than I've had hot dinners. <laughs> camera, back, but... You know. It's all free. It's unbelievable. Modern shopping is unbelievable. It's a disaster for, for our emotional health, but it's, every, everything is unbelievable. So but imagine that you forgot to buy the insurance policy, which costs you a few pennies extra. And you're very careful with this camera because you don't want it broken. Our camera might be muksa anyway, but it, it might be muksa in a category which would allow you to move it in certain cases. If it's a valuable camera which you would never ever move unless you're taking a picture, or you're going on an outing, so you're and you're very careful with it, that would render it muksa machos kasarikis, and you won't be allowed to move it at all under any circumstances. Moving on to the next stage, you will sometimes have muksa machos kasarikis where there's no value to the article at all, but the article has a very specific use, and you never ever use it for anything else. So I'll give you a bunch of examples, and you might be quite surprised some of these. A stamp, a stamp which you bought, you've gone and bought yourself. Well, they're quite expensive, but you've gone and bought yourself. A, a book of second class stamps you put them in your drawer and you only use them to stick on your, on your envelope and send a letter since it's not used for any other article that stamp is muksa a passport a passport is used for one purpose and one purpose only to enable you to get in and out of the country nothing more there's no other use for that passport. You never use it because you don't want to damage it you'll never take, you'll never take the passport out and, and, and start using it as a, as a you know, to, to balance your table, if your table's a little bit, uh, you would never do that. Not, not a passport that's in use, because you, you value that passport, not because it costs money, because you need it, because I need to travel, I need to go here, I need to travel out of the country, I want to go on holiday. You never use a passport, a birth certificate. You never use a birth certificate for anything else. If you, you're looking for a bookmark for, your, for the book, you're in the middle of reading your, your book, and then a brand new book came out from Feldheim, and you want to read it over Shabbos, and you're bang in the middle of Shabbos, so you don't go to your cupboard and pull out your birth certificate and start using it as your bookmark, because not because there's any value in a birth certificate, they cost £10, they're nothing. It's because you just don't use it for anything else besides the birth certificate. Or any other documentation, anything like that, which you use purely for the purpose of the document and nothing else, is all muksa and machmas <coughs> We're running out of time. There's, I'm going to run through a couple more examples of muksa uh, and and I won't elaborate on them uh, as much as I would have. You can have a case of muksa and 
purely because you've designated an area to it because it's heavy. So the Halakha talks about a grandfather clock. If you have a grandfather clock, which you, you don't move a grandfather clock, you don't move it around backwards and forwards. The grandfather clock gets placed wherever it's going to be placed, and it stays there, and that's where it is. If uh, something falls behind it, you might move it, but you wouldn't move it on a day-to-day basis. It's got its set place, it's Muxumachasan kids. Where would that be relevant for us in, in, modern, in our modern homes? Most of us don't have grandfather clocks anymore, but they would be relevant. Can I move my fridge out? My uh, child was playing with something and fell under the fridge and he's screaming and shouting for it and you want it and you put the hanger through and you've broken about 30 hangers trying to get it out and it's not working. Can I pull my fridge out to get the article? A fridge has a designated place. Most fridges do. Nobody moves a fridge around. You might move it out once a year to clean behind for Pesach. And if you're a bit of a clean freak, you can move it twice a year to clean, once for Sukkot and once for Pesach. But you don't move your fridge or freezer around. It stays where it is. That's Moksha Machus Sankis. We're allowed to open the door of a freezer like, you like, to, like you're allowed to open the door of a house. But the actual fridge and freezer is considered Moksha Machus Sankis. It has a specific place, designated place where it stands. You can if there's a cupboard, because it's no different to a cupboard. No, that's if you want to see the movements moving, then you can open the door, I suppose. Opening a door is fine, because mov- it's not called moving the article. An expensive watch, right? A, a very expensive custom watch, which costs, I don't know what they cost, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand pounds, I don't know what people spend on watches. But it's very expensive. It might be m- worth more than your cobalt china in your, in your display, in the display unit. But since you will wear it on other occasions, you will wear it for a customer. Or when you want to show off and you want to show that I've got a lovely watch, you wear a very expensive watch or expensive jewelry, which you might be very careful where you store it at home. But you will wear it on other occasions. And that's not called Muxum Machasun Kiss. Something which you would use. Or if you have a very, very exquisite, beautiful china set, which you only take out when, when the Prime Minister comes to visit you. That's the only time you ever take it out. But you would take it out on the other occasion. You would take it out. That's not called muksa. That's fine. Because as long as you would use it on occasion, that's not muksa. An article of muksa machtusan kis is something which you don't use at all. Unless the, its use is, muksa, is, its use is a, a use which you can't do in Shabbos at all, or you never use it at all. That is what we're talking about. So, something which has value which you place in a specific place, you don't use at all. Something which, a milah mas, a shkita you might use it, but only for an, a, a, a type of use which is not permitted in Shabbos, and any other use you have designated it, away from you're not going to use it for any other use that's all muksa birth certificates passports etc which will not be used ever on Shabbos only for things which you wouldn't do on Shabbos at all therefore it remains muksa something which has a designated area where you place it a grandfather clock a fridge a freezer these are things which might not be muksa in their own right but you've designated an area where it's going to be and you're not going to move it you don't normally move it that's all considered muksa next week we'll go over them briefly we'll fine, fine tune it a little bit Can you carry it out in Shabbos? When you carry uh, Then that's fine. Maybe that's okay. Maybe. Maybe. Because then it's useful, useful in Shabbos. Yeah, yeah, but, but, but the average passport in the average country you don't walk around with on Shabbos. So then it would be considered muksa machas If you actually, uh, 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 if you, if you um, had a stamp collection, if you had a stamp collection which was very valuable, right, and you were very careful with it, and you rarely took it out because of its value, then that would be muksa. If you just had a stamp collection, a plain stamp collection, which is no value, you just happen to enjoy collecting stamps, and then those stamps are fine. You can take them out of Shabbos, you'll show people, and they'll make a bit of a mess on the table, put them back in the bag, and you, you put them away. That's not muksa. If you had a stamp, it comes to this time of the year, they often come out with stamps with nice pictures on. 
say it wasn't a seasonal picture, it was a nice picture, and you fancied keeping that stamp. No, no value to it. You just fancied adding it to your collection, not because you wanted to sell it, not because it was valuable, you just enjoyed that stamp. The minute you tear that stamp off before Shabbos, and you say, right, I'm now using this stamp as part of my collection, I'm not going to use it for my post, for my mail, and it's not Moksha anymore. Come Shabbos, it's fine. So you can very easily change something which is Moksha Machus and move it away from the category of Muxan Machus by just changing its status. I'll give you another example of Muxan Machus which we missed out. If you have nice writing paper, expensive writing paper, so it has to be too expensive, something which you would never use for anything else besides writing. It's not a piece of paper that you will pull out the cupboard, pull out the pad, and use for bookmark, or use to wipe up some mess on the table, or if you're eating your, your, your nuts to have something underneath, so you, wouldn't, you would never use it for anything else besides writing on. Then, writing a Shabbos is Muxa. That paper is now Muxa Machus not particularly valuable, probably cost you three, four p- a, p- a piece of paper. But since you designate it for a use which can't be used in Shabbos, and for no other use will you ever use it, that is considered a Muslim machus of Sankis. So now, if you take the examples I've given you, and you broaden it, and you go around your house um, with a torch, and you do B'dikas Chomath, looking for all the different types of articles you've got in your house, you will probably come across quite a number of articles which have no actual use at all, which you designate a specific place for it, or have a use which is not permitted in Shabbos, and you will not use it for any, for any other Permitted use in Shabbos at all, never. Those articles are all under the banner of Muxa Machus That's basically the back of the halachas of the, the parameters of Muxa Machus There's an enormous amount of cases, as you've seen, enormous amount of different types of articles which are Muxa Machus I'm sure I've missed out a lot. Um, next week we'll move on, we'll try and just wrap it up, and then we'll move on to Muxa Machus not next week, two weeks' time. We'll move on to Muxa Machus Gufa and Hashem. Just to finish off with a short debate here. <laughs> this week, Pasha, Pasha's Vayishlach. The Achrenim, the Chassam Sefer, tells us that if you look at the, the life story of Yaakov, the life story of Yaakov is Maisa Ovisim Lebonim, that's really the life story of Kali Sorling Golos. The life story of Kali Sorling Golos, you look at the beginning of the Sefer, you see that the Yaakov was outside of Esau, and he met Esau, he had this encounter with Esau, where he had to manage to, to navigate himself through and away from Esau to enable him to get back to Esau, that corresponds to Kalishol and Golos, when Kalishol and Golos fighting Esau all the time, and we're trying to navigate our way through the onslaught of Esau and the 400 men to be able to get ourselves back to Esau to where we're trying to get to. If you move on in the Sedra, you find something very interesting. You find that Yaakov did a- arrive back in Esau. He arrived back in Esau, and as soon as he arrived back in Esau, we have the story of Dina. The story of Dina, which was a terrible story, which took place as he came into Esau. Now, the Medrash tells us, it's not explicit in the Torah, but the Medrash tells us, and the Ramban elaborates on, the, on this point there in the Pasha of Dina. He says, at the end of the Pasha of Dina, after Yaakov, uh, after the, uh, Shimon and, and, and Levi destroyed, the, the killed all the, all the men in, in Shechem, then the Medrash tells us that all the surrounding areas, all the, the different uh, nations in the surrounding areas came to attack Yaakov. And Yaakov had to there was three big wars, three Muhammads which Yaakov had to fight to protect himself and his family, which the Medrash describes at length. Three Muhammads which Yaakov managed to, to overcome the enemy and survive in Ertisrael itself. And again, we find this historically a very similar pattern here. We've been in Golis, outside Ertisrael, where we have Aesop, which we're battling with, and we're still battling with to a large degree. And then we've moved into a new area where, though there's a large section of Ertisrael living in Ertisrael, and yet the surrounding nations all around Israel are there's no peace at all the surrounding nations are all attacking them all the time and they've got to, they've got to battle for, uh, for, for just for basic existence to be able to survive the battling all the time so we're following very much the pattern of Yaakov after the, the end of the story of Dina and we find that there was an element of peace 
it says that the Pasuk tells us that all the surrounding nations became afraid of, of Yaakov all the surrounding nations became afraid of Yaakov and they left them in peace but before that there's a precondition to that where Yaakov says to his children he says to his household please remove all the the foreign idols which are in our midst in order to be able to get to the point where to get to the point where we will be zeichet to get peace from the surrounding nations there's a precondition if we're going to follow the footsteps of Yaakov and if Yaakov's life is the mirror of where, of the goddess that we're suffering at the moment then there's a precondition before we can actually arrive at that peace which we are almost there that peace which we will arrive at very soon and that is it's incumbent upon each one of us to be able to remove the negative, negative influences from the outside world the is all the negative influences that the outside world is, 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 is there is bombarding us with on a daily basis we've got to remove them from our midst the, the, our, our connections to Eilam Hazeh uh, our focus on Eilam Hazeh our focus on all western ideals we've got to focus on only purely serving the Rebbein Shalom then we will find that all the nations around us will leave us alone it will be and towards the end of the Pasha we find one stage even further the Pasuk tells us that just after Rachel died it says just after Rachel died Yaakov continued his journey and he pitched his tent just a little bit further on from Migdal Eida Migdal Eida is a place somewhere in Etisrael and the Tajmirensen tells us something very interesting he says what's Migdal Eida? he says Migdal Eida is a place where Mashiach will, will come from Mashiach is going to come from Migdal Eida that means Yaakov had now finished his journey he came from Chutzlaris he struggled with the, 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 the meeting with Esau he struggled with Esau and his 400 men he arrived in Etisrael he struggled with Shechem he struggled with all the surrounding nations. He fought these terrible forts, Bechabi and Bekashti. The Pesach says, the Medrash says on the Pesach, when Yaakov says Bechabi and Bekashti, Bechabi and means these wars that he fought with all those who were surrounding him in Etisoral. He arrived at some level of peace because he enabled, by dictating to his family and the people with him, he, he persuaded them to remove all the foreign idols and all the negative influences from their, from their society, from their ideals, to focus only on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They arrived at the stage of peace. But then there was a stage after that when he, he journeyed one stage further to Migdal Eide where he was able to see the source and the place where Mashiach is going to come from. That's the pattern we've got to follow. We understand the fight that we have to have daily in Chutzlaret. We understand the fight which is taking place in Israel all the time with the surrounding nations. We know that we're waiting desperately for that peace that the surrounding nations should leave us alone and, and realize that HaKadosh Baruch is with us and, gi- and, and give us that peace. But there's one condition that we have to remove all those he- all those foreign idols, all those negative influences, all our focus on Western ideals and Olam Hazar. Then we will have that peace that we so, so desperately desire. And once we've achieved that, we'll be able to move to the last stage of our journey. We'll be zechut to see the Mashiach. We may be coming from Migdal Eida. Amen. Amen.